0: Hey everyone, Wilson Cochran, one of the pastors of Vineyard Northwest. In this last message to our series, The Holy Spirit and Our New Nature, I went through Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. And the big theme that I hit in this message is waking up from sleep and living a life of full surrender and full devotion to Jesus at all times. I hope you enjoy the message. morning everybody. Wow that was good. My name is Wilson like uh, Van my dad said. Can I tell you guys two jokes before I start? (laughs) All right so here's here's the first one. What is Eve what was Eve's favorite food as in Adam and Eve first woman? Ribs. (laughs) All right this one's even worse. Um, this past week I attempted to eat a clock, but eventually I gave up because it was pretty time consuming, (laughs) groaning and moaning. All right. I want to tell you guys about two cool things really quick that are happening at the church. You know, we constantly want to keep in front of us what God is doing and where he's moving. So we talk about that a lot. But if you've been around for a while, you know we just did a uh, giving campaign called the Fresh Campaign, and a lot of it was focused on refreshing our church and updating some things at our church, technology and interior design and our logo and stuff like that. But another whole component of the Fresh Campaign was um, combating heroin in Cincinnati, And we're getting ready to give away about $24,000 to Coleraine Township for them to use to continue to fight. Yeah. For them to continue to fight the heroin epidemic. And it's cool because what's happening in Coleraine and what our police and fire department are doing is serving as a model for the rest of the state and honestly, the rest of the nation. There's a program that started right here in Colerain that has gone to um, 50 different cities in the United States and all, all over the, the entire country. So that's really cool to get to sew into something like that. Well, as we did that, God just started to open other doors. And another door that he opened was for us to begin to do a church service in the cat house downtown. Now, if you know the Cat House, yeah, it's awesome, is the Center for Addiction Treatment. And they asked uh, a coalition of churches to begin to come in one Sunday a month. Or for every, they asked, they got a coalition of churches together, so four churches. And then between the four churches, each um, body is taking one Sunday a month, and we're doing a church service down at the Cat House starting in October. So that's going really sweet. Um, but it's just cool. And... You know, you guys gave, like your guys' giving opened the door for these opportunities to happen. So another cool thing I want to tell you about is some of our partnership and involvement at Colerain High School. Jordan, who is up here before, the student pastor or pastor of student ministries, because he's not a student pastor. You know, that kind of makes it sound a little pejorative, but all right. Jordan planned an outreach that we did a couple months, or about a month ago now, to Corrine High School for the first day of the school year. And Jordan gathered a team together from the church and they went and at the end of the first day of school, they handed out, co- they, they let them come just right outside of the front doors of the of the high school and they handed out drinks and pop and cold brew and all kinds of stuff and just connected with the, the students of Corian High School. Really quick story. One of the guys that Jordan brought, one of the team members um, actually got to have a really significant prayer time with one of the students. He noticed him kind of off, alone, apart from the rest of the group. And Josh went over to him and started talking with him. And just boldly, Josh decided to share some of his personal story with him. And some of his personal story was um, attempted suicide and depression and loneliness and stuff like that. And this kid begins to open up to Josh about the stuff that he's experiencing with depression and anxiety and loneliness. And then, I, and then Josh asked, well, can I pray for you about that? Because you know Jesus is the answer to what you're experiencing. And the kid said yes. And as Josh prayed for him, the power of God, like God's presence fell on the kid and he started to tremble and shake. And when Josh said amen, he asked him, what's going on, what are you experiencing? And he said, I just feel peace. I feel peace right now, and I haven't felt peace. So cool stuff is happening, but the, the principal of Coleraine sent um, us a letter thanking us for coming, and it was, you know, it's to the entire church. It was addressed to Jordan, but I wanted to read it to you guys because you are the church. You are who he wrote the letter to, all right? Here, I'm just gonna read you an excerpt, the last part of the, the letter. His, his name is Jack Fisher, and here's what he said. Our goals at Corrine High School include being an active part of our world and more importantly our surrounding community. We believe it takes all of us to provide a safe and healthy environment for people to live and thrive. We know that Vineyard Church shares these values and strives to meet the needs of the community. We are blessed to call you our partner and hope that we can continue to work together to make Cole Rain the community to make the Coleraine community the best that it can be for our students and all others that live here. So I read you that letter for two reasons. First, because it's written to you, and it's easy for us to get a letter in the mail and think it was written to the staff, but you guys, we are Vineyard Church Northwest, okay? It's not some of us. That letter is written to all of you, and even if you want to get really technical and break it down to a small level, the drinks and the things that we did, to the, the things we gave out to the students to just show God's kindness and love, that was actually paid for by the money you guys give to support the ministry and mission of this church. I'll then take it one step further. Jordan's salary is provided by the money you guys put in the basket or allocate in the app or send a check in every week. If you stop, if we stop, if we, okay, we, I give too, Jordan doesn't have the ability to go to Corrine High School and pray for kids who are contemplating suicide. So like, that's what, that's what, um, I just wanted to toss that out to you guys to encourage you that when we give, it's really impacting the community. Secondly, I feel like it's so relevant to read a letter from another person to a church because that's what we've been doing all summer when we've been going through the book of Romans. We've been going through Romans 12 and 13. And what, Romans 12, what what the book of Romans is, is actually a letter. It wasn't written as a book. It was written by a person named Paul to a church in Rome, you know, a long time ago. And the big differentiator between Jack Fisher's letter to our church and Paul's letter to the Romans is Paul was moved and inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, to write that letter. And so that letter is, has timeless application to us. There's timeless foundational truth that we can draw from and live from. So before I read our passage today, let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the Bible. What I mean, what an amazing, amazing gift you've given us with your word. Thank you that we all have um, access to it freely. I just released right now hunger in the room for your word. I pray that we'd be a people that would um, realize the, the context of scripture and then let it come and change the way we think and change our lives. So we love you, and we just thank you for what's happening here already this morning. I thank you that your faithfulness is being declared over this room this morning. Just three of the songs, you guys, are all about how faithful God is. So I just speak um, endurance and steadfastness over you right now, whatever you're going through. And I just thank you that you have the faithful one on your side, and you have the faithful one inside of you in Jesus. So just receive a boost of faith. Receive a boost of endurance right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me read our passage and then talk to you about it. That's what preaching is. You read the Bible then you talk about it. So, Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Everyone say, Awake from sleep. wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in parties and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I want to start with verse, the second part of verse 11, okay? Okay. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I love this because Paul, when he says cast off, we t- like the first thought that kind of comes to our mind is to do something physical, right? Because that language makes you think of physically doing something, like you know, put, taking something off. But cast off, it's supposed to be imagery, it's supposed to make us think of the way that we're supposed to actually think. So cast off the works of darkness. We all, we all want to be free from dark behavior, right? But where that starts is being free from dark thinking. It's, it's, the Christian life is not a, a life focused on your behavior first. Christian life is focused first on the way you think. Well, I mean, it's first focus on Jesus. But Jesus wants to transform the way that you think so that you will actually act differently. The lo- um, Jordan talked earlier about the low bar of you know, inviting your kids to get rid of them for a weekend. The high bar of taking your kids to the outpouring so they get transformed. So that the way that they think in, this, in the world right now is different from the people next to them. You see, we're either gonna be influent. To the extent that we withhold church influence from children is to the extent that we open them up to influence from the world. That's why you force your kids to go to youth group. I was told you will be at youth group on Wednesday nights and you will be at church on Sundays. It was not an option for me. And that was because my parents understood we are either going to disciple Wilson or the world is going to disciple Wilson. We can be passive about the way in which Wilson is influenced and he's going to complain, he's going to moan. And I did, okay? I had a lot of complaining and moaning. I saw my parents were controlling and all this stupid stuff because I was 13 years old and I had no idea what was going on in life. But my parents didn't trust me with the decision of who would disciple me. My parents made the decision of who would disciple me. So to cast off the works of darkness is to consciously reject Darkness first in our thinking and then in our actions and put on the armor of light so again this is first and foremost not about our behavior but about the way we think so it's if casting off is consciously rejecting then putting on is consciously recognizing casting off is consciously rejecting putting on is consciously recognizing this is speaking of renewing our mind And the language that Paul uses here, I don't think is a mistake. He says, put on the armor of light. He says armor because it's a war. It's a battle. You know that God's original intent for humanity was for it not to be a war. He placed Adam and Eve in a garden. And 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 in um, Near Eastern culture, gardens, what they were symbolic of, so in ancient times, what gardens symbolized was a place that gods hung out the place that um, deity dwelled. And so God put humans in the garden where he was. You know, that that idea, that thinking, that's where God's hang out, that comes from the original design that God hung out in the garden with Adam and Eve. Do you get what I'm saying? So God's original intent was for humanity to hang out with him, to be with him. But the earth wasn't fully how God wanted it to look because the original command to Adam and Eve was to expand the kingdom throughout the earth. And literally the word is used, subdue the earth. So what this tells me is that the earth wasn't in its completed form yet, meaning that God wanted to partner with humanity to finish making the earth look like what it was gonna look like. God's plan has always been to partner with his creation in order to establish his design for the earth. Now, so this is so many layers and so many thoughts okay but just because the earth needed to be subdued did not mean that the earth was evil does that make sense so challenge and opposition is not inherently evil so the earth wasn't broken and messed up until the fall Okay, but before the fall, before Adam and Eve obeyed Satan, God told them that they would have to subdue the earth. Are you following with me? Yeah. So there was there was challenge and opposition built in even before the fall. Does that make sense? There was all like there was never going to be a, hum, uh, a an existence of humanity without challenge and without growth and without opposition. Does that make sense? because human beings were created in God's image, not created identically as God. God is the only person that knows no opposition. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we get to go to heaven someday and we get to live perfectly in an area where there's no opposition, But and maybe not, who knows. But from the beginning, there was gonna be opposition. There was gonna be challenge. We were always gonna be soldiers on a mission. But then Adam and Eve obeyed Satan. They gave authority over to him. They actually gave him the keys to the proverbial car. Does that make sense? They said, hey, you're in charge now, we're gonna obey you. And then the earth got jacked up. And God actually at that point had to curse the earth so that humanity wouldn't just live forever in this state of rebellion against him. Does that make sense? God is the person that instituted death, human death after the fall because he didn't want humanity to just live on eternally in sin. Do you get it? So here's what I'm getting at. We are created to always have armor on. The armor of light, we were always created to be advancing God's kingdom. Now we live in an era and in a time where there's a lot of darkness around us, right? But we put on the armor of light and we go right into the darkness. We do not run from the darkness. We run at the darkness and we bring the kingdom. We bring God's power. We bring God's presence, which was always his original design. The, God's original commandment to, earth, to humans to subdue the earth and to spread the kingdom, Jesus reinstitutes that with a Great Commission when he says, Go out into all the earth and disciple the earth. John 1 5 says this, or 1 John 1 5 God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then John 1.12 says this, yet to all those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. So I'm gonna read both those verses again. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Yet to all those, and then John 1.12, yet to all those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Two really big things to take out of this sequence of verses. First of all, God is light. He's not a mixture of light and darkness. Only light comes from him. He is only good. We need to understand what his goodness looks like, but scripture makes it clear some of the things that his goodness doesn't look like. Sickness. um, Destruction. Like that's not what God's goodness looks like. It's not like a cloak and dagger like I'm going to give you some sickness so that you learn something and it's good in the end. That God's not the author of that. We know that he is light. And then the second verse tells us that we're actually his children. And it, and it, there's a qualifier. If you receive him, you become his child. You have to receive him to become his child. It's not true that everyone is children of God. Amen. That's not how it works because then everyone would have his nature and everyone would, would be children of light. But we just look out of the earth and we see, you can tell kind of roughly who's a child of light and who's a child of darkness. Jesus went so far as to say to some religious leaders that they were of their father, the devil. Yes. So what, what I'm trying to do here is just clear up the, the, the playing field for us so that we can see things clearly and we can move forward clearly. We've always been given a job to subdue the earth. There's always gonna be opposition. Get used to it, okay? When you face opposition, do not get discouraged or run from it or think, man, when will this end? Just be like, all right, rest of my life, I'm gonna be getting stronger. Because the only way you get stronger is by opposition. If you lift you know, weights that are too easy, you don't get stronger. <laughs> you maybe get some cardio in. So that's the first thing. There's always going to be opposition. Second thing, we are called to rescue children of darkness and bring them into the and to become children of light. We can't do that unless we put on the armor of light and go after the darkness. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in parties and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Let us walk. Again, this, this, this passage it reemphasizes these active things about our identity. Walk, it says. It says in the last verse, put on and cast off. The reason it's saying this is because we have choices. You know, when you accept Jesus, you become a child of God. You don't, you don't make the choice to become a child of God. You make the choice to receive Jesus. Uh, then God makes the choice to make you a child of God. Does that make sense? You, you're embracing the fact that that's what's going to happen, but you're not the one that chooses to become a child of God. You choose to receive Jesus, and God chooses to make you his child. He doesn't stop there with choices. We get to make choices. You get the choice Am I going to cast off the works of darkness? Am I going to walk in the light? Am I going to put on Christ? Or am I not going to? We're not robots, it's not just like automatic. We make choices. And we talked about this earlier in the the series that as we renew our mind, our choices um, become easier. And as you start to think like God, you easily and naturally act like God. So if there's an area in your life right now where you feel like I'm continually happening to cast off this darkness, the problem isn't your behavior, the problem is the way you're thinking about your behavior. Or the problem is about the way you're thinking about God and the way you're thinking about what God has done in your life. God didn't... God isn't wanting to fix the old you. He killed the old you. He totally killed the old you. Your old nature, your simple nature, he totally killed it. And he gave you a Jesus nature. Now, there's a process called renewing our mind, where we actually learn to align our mind with our new nature. And that's that's how we, and that's what Paul is saying when he's saying to, walk properly as in the daytime. He's saying, live like who you really are. Walk out who you really are. Let's talk about this list. Paul loves lists, dark, nasty lists. If you've read the New Testament, there's all these lists about all these things. Here's one of them. Not in parties and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. I just wanna say this really quick. I wanna highlight again the sexual immorality and sensuality thing. Here's what I wrote down as we were worshiping. If we are intentional and active and vocal about healthy sexuality with our families, they, meaning the people we're supposed to be leading, will learn from Hollywood. We have to be in our families and in our spheres of influence as active about teaching about healthy sexuality, sexual identity, um, how to manage sexual urges, as we're intentional about letting them watch TV, as intentional as you are about letting them go to, I mean, I went to public school, so I don't think public school is bad, but as you're allowing them to go to public school, that's where, I learned every, that's where I learned tons of stuff about sex from my classmates and from people. Like, hey, check this out. Oh my gosh, what's that? I've never, literally never seen this naked picture before of a woman. What is that? Like I was shocked, but that's how I found out about pornography, was just a classmate showed me something. And so I just want to invite you guys to not feel ashamed about sex, okay? Sex is an amazing, great thing. And as we intentionally teach our kids healthy things about it, and as we have those conversations, even with our close friends that we see think a little weird about this stuff, as we have like honoring, um, shameless conversations about it, we're actually sowing seeds to change society. Because... Ignorance is the problem. People are ignorant of the beauty and the health of sexuality that God created. God God created that stuff. And so if we're not actively teaching people what God created it for, then they're probably gonna learn what the devil, how he manipulated and how he twisted it. So I'm just commissioning and releasing you guys to talk about sex, okay? Talk about it with your close friends, Talk about it, and obviously be appropriate, but um, talk about it with people. Talk about it in healthy contexts where people get to share with you um, what they think, and then you can, share, you can point them back to the Bible, and, and with your kids, be intentional. There's great curriculums out there about it. All right, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So just really quick, Galatians 3:27 says that we have already put on Christ. So I just want to I just want you to know that, that when you become a new creation, when you receive Jesus, you put on Christ. That's what God is doing. That's what's making you his child is he's putting Christ on you. But Paul is again, he's bringing intentionality to our Christian walk. We can't just coast. He know there's ch- he knows that we're going to face challenge so he's saying, put it on again, put it on again, put it on again. He's not implying that you ever lost it, okay? He's just reminding you, look back at the gospel, look back at what Jesus did when he changed you, and then make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The flesh, this is like such a, I think this is a word that breeds so much confusion around identity, around Christianity. And the reason is because Paul uses that term, flesh, a ton of different ways in a ton of different circumstances all throughout the New Testament. He talks about Jesus coming in the flesh. He was born, you know, and that we regarded Christ according to the flesh. Paul talks, and so there's, but then he talks out here, make no provision for the flesh. So we know that there's different ways he uses it because we know that Jesus did not have a sinful nature. You know what I'm saying? Jesus didn't struggle with sin in his mind at all. He didn't ever sin. So if Jesus came in the flesh, then that means, but, but here Paul is clearly talking about don't make provision for the flesh. There's, he's meaning different things in different places. Are you following me? Amen. So I just want to tell you, these are the two definitions that Luke and Van and I kind of like, who the, Van's the other guy there and Luke's another teaching pastor, executive pastor here. Um, other guy there, my dad, senior pastor. <laughs> the flesh, I, when, when you guys read the New Testament, I want you to think of the flesh meaning two different things, depending on the context. Sometimes the flesh means the physical, okay? It means the physical, natural realm of living, That includes our physical bodies, that includes just natural humanity, um, not, not speaking of human nature, but just talking about this, okay? But then he uses the flesh other times to talk about sinful mindsets and a sinful way of life. And so again, in, in, this, in verse 14, when he says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, I want to point out to you that he doesn't say, make no provision for your flesh. He's not talking about the fact that we're in human bodies, and he's not implying that we have a sinful nature. He's just saying, hey, there are sinful mindsets that you're still overcoming as you, become a, as you learn to live like a child of God. So don't use your freedom. Don't like... Use your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want, and in effect, make provision for the old way you used to think, and then you're going to end up tagging into old desires. Don't abuse and misunderstand freedom. So just really quick, let me say this. We glorify freedom, and we bash submission and obedience. We make it sound like freedom is the ultimate goal, when really freedom is actually is to point you towards obeying God freely. (laughs) You making the choice to obey God. Remember last week when Van told that hilarious story about the pie? He talked about how his mom makes, um, my grandma makes amazing pie. How ridiculous would it be for you to say, you know what, I'm free to make my own recipe. I'm gonna mess with her recipe and then I'm just gonna do that. None of us would do that, right? We're being obedient to the recipe. Freely choosing that. No one's gonna hold a gun to your head and say, obey the recipe. But you're choosing that because you know that's what will be best. That's what it means to live free, all right? Is to figure out what God says is best other than to choose to do that on your own. Now, let's go back to verse 11, and this is where I wanna end us, okay? End the sermon, not end us. You know, I'm not gonna, (laughs) This not weird. So verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come For you to wake from sleep. You know the time that the hour has come. Kind of ominous, right? But here's what I think Paul means when he says the time, what he's talking about is the era. And when he says the hour, he's saying the moment. So by era, I mean, you know, like Jesus, there's different eras of humanity, different eras of history. Like we live in the era of smartphones right? Smartphones haven't always existed. So the way to say this, hey, smartphones exist now. We live in the era of smartphones. But the the time, the era that Paul is talking about here is the time after Jesus was resurrected and went to heaven and before he's coming back. Does that make sense? That is the time that Paul is talking about. And then when he says the hour, he's saying the moment. The hour has come. The moment has come for you to what? Say it again. What is the what is the moment right now, you guys? What's the moment? What is the moment? Read the verse. Bring the verses back up. The hour has come for to who else knows it? What does it say up there? People are saying the right thing. I just want to hear everybody say it. What is the hour? What is the hour? Wake up. Okay, I'm gonna say this again. I see how it's been confusing though. In this moment, what are we supposed to do? In this moment, what are we supposed to do? Why are some of you guys not saying it, honestly? No, 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 I'm serious. I want you to question what is the, you know I want you to. What is it inside of you that's keeping you from saying it? What are we supposed to do? What is the hour saying we're supposed to do now? Thank you. Let's be real, we're asleep, man. If the American church was awake, I think America would look different. And let me say this, it's waking up, okay? I'm not trying to throw stones. I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's like the church is honestly more powerful now than it's ever been. Even with the division of radical, terrible um, theology that you know, ordains homosexuals and all that stuff, like that's bad, that's bad stuff. But the church, I really believe, is more powerful now than it's ever been. But let's not settle for where it's at. Let's each personally take responsibility for waking from sleep. Maybe the 1130 service will say it. <laughs> I ask myself this question. What do, I'm going to end here, okay? What does waking from sleep look like? What does waking from sleep look like? I want to read you guys a story. Will you guys stand with me? I'm going to read you a story, okay? This, to me, shows us what waking from sleep looks like. This is a story from the 1700s, all right? Two young Moravians. Moravians was a um, sect of Christianity. It was the first sect of Christianity to recognize that um, salvation came through faith and not through works. So these are guys that were before Luther even came up with that. It was a missionary community. And here's what it says. Two young Moravians heard of an island in the West Indies where an atheist British owner had 2,000 to 3,000 slaves. The owner had said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. I'm through with all of that nonsense. 3,000 slaves from the jungles of Africa brought to an island in the Atlantic there to live and die without hearing of Christ. Two young Germans in their 20s from the Moravian sect heard about their plight. They decided to sell themselves to the atheist British slave owner for the standard price for a male slave. Then they used the money they received from their sale to purchase passage to the West Indies. The miserly atheist planter refused to even transport them. The Moravian community from Hernhut, Germany came to see the two lads off who would never return again having freely sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery. As members of the slave community, they would dedicate themselves to sharing the gospel and the love of God with their now fellow slaves. Family members were emotional, weeping. Was this extreme sacrifice wise? Was it necessary? As the ship slipped away with the tide and the gap widened, the housings had been cast off and were curled up on the pier. The young men saw the widening gap. They linked arms, raised their hands, and shouted across the spreading gap, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. This became the call of Moravian missions. And this is our only reason for being, that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. Lord, convict us. We freely say, convict us. Wake us up wherever we're not awake. I wanna be woke. I wanna be awake, God. It, here's, here's, here's the truth, you guys, just put your hands out. You don't have to be awake to be saved. You do not have to be awake to be saved. You, when you get saved, you'll wake up, but you can fall back asleep. It's not being awake that gets you into heaven. It's God's grace that gets you into heaven. But still, wake up. Let's wake up. Father, wake us up to surrender anything we need to surrender to you. You're worthy to receive the reward. If I have to suffer in the process of you receiving your reward, then thank you, God, for the privilege to suffer, for you. So I just release boldness over the room right now in Jesus' name. I just break apathy. I break insomnia. I break sleepiness. God, put strategies in our heart and put people in our life that will continually remind us to wake up for the rest of our life. Look, you're gonna fall asleep again. It's okay. We will all go through the cycle, falling asleep, waking up, fall asleep, waking up. But I just release grace to be awake for the long run. I release grace in Jesus' name to be awake. To be awake in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.